Good morning, everybody. Hey, welcome to church. It's great to have you. My name is Tim. If we've never met before, I'm one of the pastors here at FCC. And we're picking up uh, with the second week of our series, Fear Not, Raising Courageous Kids, as you just saw in the video. But before we jump into our teaching time, we just want to let you know, if you didn't know already, that Pastor Larry Zyman is in Uganda again this morning, and we just want to invite your prayers for him. Uh, we'll pray for him at the end of our time together today as well. But if if you've been following the adventures of Pastor Larry in Uganda, the, the 40 or so uh, Ugandan church planters that he finished providing theological and pastoral training for last year. Five of them are returning to do the training now for a new uh, group of Ugandan church planters and pastors. And actually, a, uh, the Archbishop of the Church in South Sudan heard about what Larry and his team are doing. And so South Sudan is busing a group of church leaders and church planters uh, to Uganda to receive that same training. That So Larry's doing the training with some South Sudanese leaders. He's also kind of supervising five new trainers for the Ugandan church. Now, if you're familiar with South Sudan at all, they've known 10 years of peace in the last 30. And often pastors are the first targets of violence when it breaks out in that country. And so what's happened is a lot of pastors have either been killed or they've had to flee the country and so the South Sudanese church is just filling pulpits with any men who are willing to say yes, you know, to a really dangerous assignment. But they have virtually no theological training. And so I just share all that to say, I just think this is one of the coolest things that we get to do as a church. And I just want to say again, thank you, thank you for praying and thank you for giving and all the things that you do to make this kind of thing possible. This, Larry, Larry goes on our behalf. Uh, and he knows that. And I just want to say thank you again. You can follow everything Larry's doing on, on our FCC blog. You can find that on our app or at FCCHudson.com slash blog. Uh, and also you can find, you know, information about all of our partners in India, Ethiopia, Uganda, Iraq, Minneapolis, and elsewhere, okay? So check that out this week. And we'll pray for Larry before we wrap up today. But let's dive into our teaching time this morning. We're going to spend some time in a New Testament letter called 2 Timothy. So let me invite you to turn with me to 2 Timothy right now. That'll be on page 995 in the Bibles under the chairs in front of you. And while you're finding that, uh, a little introduction. 2 Timothy is the last letter of a man named Paul to Timothy, a young man that he had trained up uh, in the ministry and had joined him in his missionary journeys. And at some point, Paul left Timothy in the uh, enormous and challenging city of Ephesus to take care of the church there. The, the church at Ephesus was large, the city was large, and it was a really difficult assignment. And I'll just summarize Timothy's character this way. Uh, Timothy, while... Uh, you know, an outstanding personality. But at one point, Paul says of Timothy, I have no one else like him. I just trust him absolutely. Uh, but he was also a timid person. He was not, uh, he didn't love leadership. He didn't love controversy. And now he's being forced to do both in a really difficult situation. Ephesus was a place prone to violence against Christians. Uh, I mean, it, it was just really hard, and Timothy's young. At the most, he's in his early 30s. It's possible he's in his late 20s at this point. And he is struggling. 
And so if you want a book about raising kids up to be courageous, it's tough to beat 2 Timothy. It's just a great, great book. So here's what we're going to do today. We're just going to read the first nine verses together. And then we're going to talk about how Paul helped Timothy to have courage. Sound like a good plan? All right, that's what we're going to do. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Oh, and then I have a special surprise scripture reading this morning that you'll, you'll meet in a second. Okay, 2 Timothy 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells also in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And this is from Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, three things that Paul did for Timothy and that we can do for our kids to help them walk with courage. Number one, Paul exemplified what it means to hope in God. Second, he gave Timothy a true and compelling vision for his life and calling. And finally, Paul was honest about the cost. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. He exemplified what it meant to hope in God. He gave him a compelling vision for his life and calling. And he was honest about the cost. All right, Paul exemplifies what hope in God looks like. This is a review of the principle that we talked about last week, so I'm not going to beat this to death this morning. But he is just such a great example of what we talked about last week. It can't go without comment. Let's play a little game this morning called fill in the blank. Okay, this is audience participation time, so this is where you chime in. If you have your Bible open in front of you, let's fill in the blank. Verse 3, are you ready? I thank God. God, oh, you guys are so good. You have a thousand points if you answer it. I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as I remember you. In my prayers, and he says, I pray for you all the time. Paul thanks God when he thinks of Timothy. And then he talks about Timothy's faith. What a gift his faith is. He talks about his mom and his grandma. What a gift those women were to Timothy. And then he talks about this gift of God in verse 6. There's this gift of God that's in you through the laying out of my hands. In verse 7, he talks about the spirit of God that's, that lives in Timothy. 
Paul's whole understanding of himself and his own calling, uh, he can't understand apart from God. If you look at verse 1, he says, he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And he remembers his own uh, heritage of faith. So all of this is a gift of God's grace. Who Paul says in verse 9, saved us and called us to a holy calling for his own purpose and grace. This is a great example of what we talked about last week about someone who's hoping in God, trusting God's grace, and resting in the providence of God. This is what it looks like. Paul's child in the faith is struggling and having a hard time. He wants to quit. But Paul sees the hand of God in everything. Just an awesome example. Christian parents in churches need to be bolder and clearer to say from the time kids are little, 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 little. Not just to say to kids, hey, you need to hope in God. That comes. Christian parents and churches need to be saying, I hope in God. My hope is in God. My hope for you is in God. And when I look at you, I thank God because he is the one who makes us who we are. And I see his hand at work in your life. That is a source of tremendous courage for kids to be able to say, wow, the people in my life who love me most believe that nothing is unfolding in my life on accident. Wow. That's a, a source of tremendous courage for kids. It's also a source of tremendous courage to parents and churches. Okay, some years ago, a friend here at church, uh, someone I just love and respect, so much, a leader in the church, his 12-year-old or 11-year-old, I don't know exactly how old, his 12-year-old came to him and said, Dad, I just need you to know, I do not really believe the things you believe. I don't buy this stuff, and I don't love pretending that I do. And I just think you ought to know that. Okay, now every person here, whether you're a parent or not, okay, a, a refuge leader, whoever, you need to think through how you're going to respond when that day comes. How you're going to respond when your child comes to you and breaks your heart and says, hey, I don't really buy this stuff or, or something that scares you even more. Well, because, th because of this friend's understanding of the providence of God and the grace of God, he, well, first of all, let's note that he created an environment in his home of grace and open communication and trust so that his kid came to him and told him that, okay? But the second thing we should note is that he did not freak out. But because of what he believes about the providence of God said, uh, okay, I see God's hand at work, even in this. So let's, all right, help me understand. Talk me through it. What kinds of questions are you asking? You still have to live under mom and dad's authority. So we go to church together. We pray at the table together. You're going to be a part of family worship. But there's a lot of room here to think and ask questions. And I really admire your integrity. So let's work it through. And, and they did. And that, that, today that child loves the Lord. He's walking with the Lord and things like that. But it isn't just that we help kids hope in God. We are hoping in God too because ultimately they're his workmanship, not ours. Everybody got that? <laughs> I remember when Darcy and I first discovered we were pregnant. This thought, oh my goodness, 
We just created something with an immortal soul. <laughs> and ultimately, what they do with God really is beyond our control. At the end of the day, this comes down to something that God does with him or her. We didn't know what we were, him or, it, it's, it really is up to them. And it really is a work of grace. And I tell you what, when you get in touch with that, you pray. Everybody got that? You, you'll know you believe this when you are praying for your child. Even when, they, you know, even when they do come to faith in Jesus and they get baptized and they're walking with the Lord. We got home from church last Sunday and my eighth grader approaches me and he says, just so you know, Dad, I might go crazy someday. <laughs> like, are you, son, are you announcing something right now? Is there something that I need to know? But that's really true, right? And I could too. I, I could too. We are called by grace, saved by grace, kept by grace. I mean, the whole deal is grace from beginning to end. And parents, youth leaders, just every whole church, you need to think about this ahead of time. What do I really believe about what's transpiring between my child and the living God? So that when the day comes, you're ready to say, okay. Unbelief is a part of the Christian experience. And I deal with it too. Let's work it through together. Okay, everybody got that? Everybody say, I got it. I wasn't going to beat that to death. And then we beat it to death. Okay. <laughs> Second, Paul gave, gave Timothy a, a true and powerful vision for his life. And this, this is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. Look at verse 6. Paul says, for this reason, because of this heritage of faith you've received and all these things I see God doing, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. This is the way the Bible sees things, by the way. God is absolutely in control and he's absolutely sovereign and everything is under his providence and you have things to do. Does that make sense? You need to fan into flame the gift of God that's in you. So let, let's just say this by way of, of, of start. This is a weird time to be raising kids. Did we say that last week? I couldn't remember we said it last week. I'm saying it again. This is a weird time to be raising kids. I was having lunch with a friend here at church a month and a half ago, and he said, Tim, I have a feminine son and a masculine daughter. You know, they just don't fit into the neat categories. What are they going to be told when they go to middle school? Now, 10 or 15 years ago, I just said, buddy, come on now. You're overreacting. I, would not, I'm not, I did not say that this time. Those are legitimate concerns. Those are legitimate fears. And he's not being overreactive. He's not being a conspiracy theorist or a freak or anything like that. He's being a good dad who's not naive. He recognizes the world that we live in. And he knows his children, okay? So this is a strange time to be raising kids together. And as a church, we want to get better and better and better at being a place where we get to talk this stuff through. We get to work some of this stuff out together. But what we're not going to do is play defense all the time. Does that make sense? What we're not going to do is spend the next 20 years playing defense all the time. The goal here 
is not to raise well-balanced, sinless kids who are academically excellent, attractive, successful, athletic geniuses. Is that, everybody got that? We're the church. And as far as, I mean, of all the visions for their lives that can be laid in front of children, we have the best one, okay? We have been given a, a vision for the lives of children that far outstrips anything else on the market today. And God has set in front of our kids a true and powerful vision for what he's doing in the world and the kingdom of God as well. So there is a lot, please hear me say this, there is a lot that kids need to be protected from. And we're not going to be naive and we're not going to be passive about that. Everybody got that? Thank you, you three. <laughs> we're not, let's say it, we're not going to be naive and we're not going to be passive about that. Has everybody got that? Yes. We're also not going to spend the next 20 years playing defense because God has given us something worth living for, okay? Every Christian family and church needs to have real conversation around the question, what is the true, positive, compelling, theologically robust vision that we are laying in front of our kids? And how are we going to do that? Okay, the school is not going to do that for you. Has everybody got that? Your, the, your child's school is not going to do that. If we don't, they're not going to get it. How are we going to help kids to experience a positive, outward-moving, theologically robust, gospel-inspired life? That is the question every... That is, has everybody got their home? This is your homework. When you get home today, every Christian family and this church needs to think through, how are we going to lay in front of kids the awesome calling to which God has called them? What's the plan here? Because if you're passive or naive about it, I re I'm from the generation that was really down on indoctrination. Anybody around my age, you've probably heard, we shouldn't indoctrinate kids, we should let them figure it out. I don't hear that much anymore. Because everyone's figured out, they're gonna be indoctrinated okay? by somebody. It better be you, okay? So what's the plan? for laying out that vision of who they are and what God has given them. And that's the goal. And if you don't know where to start, by the way, okay, you're, so you just walked in this morning, welcome to church, you don't know what the heck's going on. And if you don't know where to start, start with 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. This is awesome. And then you can go to Joshua chapters 1 through 4. Go to Daniel. Daniel's like my favorite guy in the whole Bible. Someday we're going to teach through Daniel, and your faces are going to melt from how awesome the vision of God is in that book. Or Nehemiah. I mean, it's just loaded. But you can just start here. Two verses. Start right here. He says, after reminding Timothy of this legacy of faith he's received, he says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. Now, whatever this laying on of hands is that he's talking about, he actually talks about it, if you just turn one page to the left, he talks about it in 1 Timothy 4.14. So here's, here's what 1 Timothy 4.14 says. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. 
So there's the opposite side of the coin. Whatever this gift of God is, it's possible to either fan it into flame or you can neglect it. Okay, so there's three possibilities. It's, it's hard to know exactly what Paul's talking about, but there's three possibilities. I'm going to share them all because they're all relevant to your kids. Okay, number one, it's, it's possible that this is a reference to Timothy's calling as a missionary pastor evangelist or something like that. Okay, um, there are official roles in the church like pastor slash elder, deacon, evangelist, teacher, whatever. And what what churches do when they, when they see a gift like that in someone and they think, you know, together we think God has called you to a specific role in the church. What they do is we bring them up and we lay hands on them and we set them apart for that work. They're given the authority of the church to exercise that gift, okay? This goes all the way back to Joshua and Moses, all right? So that, that's p- option number one. Paul is saying, Tim, yeah, Tim, Timothy, Timmer, uh, look, God, God, God gave you this role. The church gave you this role, and I know it feels like a burden, and I know you want to quit, but dude, fan it into flame. Let's lean into this and let God use it, okay? That's option number one. Another possibility is that Paul's just talking about spiritual gifts in general. So a spiritual gift is a unique ability that the Spirit of God gives to each Christian to build up and serve the church. 1 Timothy 4 makes it sound like the church had recognized a gift for teaching in Timothy, maybe counseling. Later on in this letter, Paul talks about the gift, uh, you know, being an evangelist. So it could have been any one of those things or all of those things. So it may be that Paul is saying to Timothy, hey, God has given you these gifts Let's, let's use them, man. Let's fan them into flame. And the third option is that Paul might just be talking about the gift of the Spirit in general. I don't think this is the case because in verse 6, Paul says this gift of God is unique to you, Timothy. And then in verse 7, he says, but the Spirit has been given to every Christian. Everybody got that? So I think it's probably option one or two, but it could be any of them. And, and for our kids, they're all relevant because we can say to our kids, hey, man, look at this calling that God has given you. Let's lean into that. Or look at these gifts that God has given you. Look at the spirit that God has given you. Now, the question, of course, then is, well, what does it mean then to fan that into flame? Okay, we got kids in our congregation. You might have kids in your home. How are you going to fan that into flame? Well, we fan the gift of God into flame by using it and by learning to walk by faith in the power of the Spirit. By using the gift and then by learning to walk by faith. First Timothy 4.14 again, okay? Do not neglect the gift you have, but practice it and immerse yourself in it. So if God has given you a gift to teach, then, then get after it. If, you, if it's serving, then serve. If it's hosting, then host. I mean, just the only way to get to know how God has gifted you is just start trying stuff, especially when you're a kid. Okay, kids, no one here expects you to be awesome at anything. Everybody got that? No one expects you to be awesome at anything. We just want you to start trying. Just step out in faith, try a few things, and let's see what sticks. One of my favorite things at Faith Community Church right now is walking into the volunteer hub on Sunday mornings and seeing all the teenagers with their faith kids' shirts on. 
I asked Dan, our next generation director, Dan Clancy, said 60% of our volunteers in Faith Kids are teenagers right now. And it's probably the same at VBS. I know Awana has teenagers leading small groups of cubbies and TNT kids learning their verses and things like that. Well, what are we doing? We're fanning into flame the gift of God that is in them and helping them discover how God has made them and what he is calling them to. And I hear you talk about them. I've been in the hub and overheard an adult saying, I really see a pastoral heart in thus and such kid. It is so cool. Okay, we need to be saying that to them. Adults, this is, this is what we're doing together. As we serve with them and as we serve with each other, we're watching to see how has God made this person? And then we say it out loud to them. I mean, how cool would it have been when you were in eighth grade to have an adult say to you, man, I really see a neat pastoral heart in you. And I want you to lead this next week. I'm gonna watch, okay? How cool would that have been? Now, just a quick word you know, to teenagers here this morning who, who are not serving in roles like that because you're so busy playing sports and running you know, things at school and stuff like that. I just wanna say to you that those things are a gift too. You understand? Not every kid in the world gets to compete athletically at a high level. Not everybody gets to do that. Not everyone is drawn to civic engagement the way that you might be. Those things are a gift as well. And we want you to be fanning those things into flame too. Offering everything that you do to the Lord to say, God, my whole life belongs to you. I'm going to basketball practice today. Help me to dunk, that's not worth saying. Just help me to lead well, help me to lead well, help me to love my teammates well. God, you have put me here for a purpose. Fan it into flame. And parents, adults, when you see kids serving the Lord outside of the church too, you say, wow, I, I wish I had done that. I, I love what I see in you. I hope you'll get after that and I'm praying for you, okay? I sat in, I don't, I don't mean to embarrass him, he's sitting right over here in a pink shirt. Uh, I sat in on one of Dan Clancy's, Dan Clancy's our new executive director for Next Generation. I sat in on one of his interviews and a, a couple of things came up. Number one, Dan is old. So he's just old, okay? <laughs> It's, it's, it's not a lie. We're just, this is call a spade a spade. Okay, he's 59 years old. And so one of the questions was, Dan, you're, you're old. Uh, we're hiring you to do youth ministry. How's that, how's that going to work? And he said, well, what I do is I hire gobs of really cool college interns that the kids love and trust, and the interns tell them I'm cool, and it works. Okay. So, just so you know, we've hired three or four, four college interns that will be moving here to Hudson this summer to do ministry with kids all summer, reach kids in the neighborhood and all that other kind of stuff. The other thing that he, someone asked him, what are you most proud of from your 34 or 35 years in youth ministry? And he said, there are 50 people, more than 50 people serving the church in full-time ministry right now who came up through my youth groups and my college internships. Now, I didn't get a vote, but that's when I knew this is my guy. This is my guy. Because we're not going to spend the next 20 years playing defense together. 
We want to lay in front of kids a compelling vision for how God has made them and to know that there are incredible things God is doing in the world. The other part of fanning the gift of God into flame then is learning to walk by faith in the power of the Spirit. So, we're, so we lean into the gift of God that he's given us, but we also need, you know, there's a dynamic, genuine, relational thing that kids need to learn in relating to the living God. Several months ago, you know, I was wrestling with um, what to do with our eighth grader. Do we, you know, should we do public school? Should we do private school? Should, you know, we just are not homeschool people. We figured that out a few years ago. Um, <laughs> So I did what I told you to do last week. I went and found a brother, raised a gob of kids up who, who loved the Lord, and I said, hey, this is my problem, this is my question, what do you think? And one of the things that he said really stuck with me, he said, whatever the decision is about school, the important thing is that it's time for him to start learning to walk by faith in the power of the Spirit. So when your kids are real, real little, the main thing you're trying to do is teach them to live under the authority that God has placed in their lives, to win the battle for their trust and their respect, okay? Then, you know, through elementary school and middle school, you're teaching them to love the law of God and the attributes of God. This is what we talked about last week. We lift up the glorious wonders and deeds of the Lord, right? We said, we're not going to hide those. We're going to lift them up. But by high school, he said, your role needs to change, and it's time for him to start learning to walk by faith. That means that he's reading the word of God, not just you reading it to him. It means that he's learning to bring his questions to his heavenly father, not just always to you. I mean, obviously I'm still there, I'm still his dad. But sometime soon, he said, he has to start experiencing the joys and disappointments and victories of actually walking with a living God. So, teenagers, that is the word for you this morning. Everybody got that? Everybody smack a teenager next to you this morning. <laughs> this is the word for you. You have, you have watched your parents drive. I heard a few smacks. Easy, <laughs> easy, easy, easy. Okay? <laughs> teenagers, you have watched your parents drive your whole life. You have probably talked with them about driving. You even have to take a class and study driving. You are not a driver until you're in the seat and you are the one having to make all the decisions. You have got to be in the chair and feel the speed and how quickly things happen and how fast you have to make decisions and throw the right levers and knobs and look at the right dials while all this is happening. Until that happens, you're not driving. And it's like that in the walk of faith. We can talk and teach and model and talk some more. You have to start experiencing faith with your heavenly father. And I would start today. Or you might get a smack, okay? <laughs> this is how you fan into flame the gift of God. You are God's workmanship and he has prepared you in advance for things that he made you to do. He has a calling on your life. And sooner or later, you have to start relating to God personally. Teenagers, have you ever personally brought a problem to the Lord in prayer and then watched for his hand to be at work that day? Have you ever personally had to wait on the Lord and deal with disappointment with the Lord and then had to go back to his word 
and try to understand what's going on. That is what you are called to do in your teenage years. So, let's look then quickly at the spirit that we have been given, if we're to walk in the spirit. This is one of the greatest promises in scripture. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. This is one of the first verses I ever memorized with my boys. We had actions and everything. Power, love, and ours was a sound mind. Uh, when the boys uh, enter middle school, I engrave this uh, on something for them. Paul says in verse 8, do not be ashamed. To be ashamed in this context, it means to shrink back from something. Timothy is being tempted to shrink back from his calling and from the gospel and from Paul. And Paul reminds him that is not the spirit of God. The spirit of Jesus, which every Christian has been given, is not a spirit of cowardice or fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And every kid has to know this. Every kid at faith community has to know this. You have been given a spirit of power, love, and self-control. Power is just a reference to the raw power of God. That the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you and wants to speak to you and lead your life. Love. Love is the gift of the spirit that, that enables us to live for the good of others. The spirit of God is not a spirit of power to uh, serve yourself, but it empowers us to live for the sake of others. And in this context, just so you know, in this context, especially the spirit of love is given to help you love your enemy, to help you love the one that's persecuting you. And finally, the spirit of self-control. Now this word, if you've read other translations, it's translated like eight different ways, and that's when you know we've got a Greek word for which there's no real English equivalent. But here are some of the ways it's translated. Self-control, discretion, moderation, self-discipline, prudence, a sound mind. The whole definition is the Spirit of God will help you exercise control over your actions and your thoughts and prevents rash behavior and aids in a balanced assessment of the situation. Okay? Let me say that again. The Spirit of God helps us exercise control over our actions and our thoughts and prevents rash behavior and aids in a balanced assessment of what's really going on. In other words, the Spirit of God is given to you so that you don't lose control, you don't lash out, you don't get irrationally angry, and you don't say things that aren't helpful. This is profoundly good news because I think one of the greatest fears that kids have, and I have the same fear, isn't necessarily what other people think of them. It's saying something dumb or embarrassing the Lord. Does anyone else have that fear? It's not that you're actually afraid of the other person. It's, I'm a klutz and I don't want to embarrass Jesus, so I'm just not going to say anything. Well, I think Timothy struggled with that because Paul reminds him the spirit you've received is a spirit of a sound mind. Jesus said the same thing when he sent his disciples out. He said, don't worry about what to say when you're put on trial. The spirit will tell you what to say right in the moment. So every kid has to know this stuff. 
to understand what these words mean because they're a source of incredible courage. So there is a lot that we need to protect kids from. And we're not going to be passive or naive about it. And we want this to be a place where more and more we're talking about those things. But God has also laid in front of kids an incredibly powerful vision for their lives. And we want to bring that to them in every way that we possibly can. Last thing, I'll make this quick. What Paul does here is also to give Timothy courage by being honest about the cost. He says, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Therefore, do not shrink back from the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So Timothy, this is the reason that God has given you this spirit of power, love, and self-control. Because you're going to need it when you suffer for Christ. Parents in churches, if we want to raise up kids of courage, then we need to hold out to them the, the awesome calling of God in their lives. We also need to shoot straight with them about what it is they need the Spirit of God for. Every generation of Christian has its challenges. This is ours. Faithfulness to Jesus in this generation means that sooner or later, you will be misunderstood and labeled as a bigot or as having some kind of irrational phobia or being ignorant or repressive. I mean, there's a long list, okay? None of those things are true. We should say that clearly. None of those things is actually true. Many of them aren't even real things. But you need to know that. And you need to know that you are not alone in that moment. God has given us a spirit of power so we don't shrink back. He's given us a spirit of love so we don't lash out, we don't respond in kind. Sometimes we, we'll know when to speak and when not to speak. He's given us a, a, a spirit of a sound mind. Don't worry about what you're going to say in that moment. It's in these moments that the Spirit of God meets you and you experience that power that we've been talking about it. Most of all, Jesus suffered for us. And he's let us know that this is the calling, that you also would suffer for others. And he has promised to honor the one that honors him. This is how one elder at the church put it this week. Okay, so this, kids, this is the message for you from the elders of the church. You can do everything right. You are still going to be misunderstood and labeled. It has happened. It is happening now. It will probably happen to you at some time in the future. And it is okay. And this too shall pass. Things that feel obvious and important in one generation are nonsense to the next generation. Above all, do not throw away the inheritance of faith you've received to please a crowd in the moment but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling because of his own purpose and grace. Let me close with this from Ephesians 2.10. This is for every kid in the room and every adult needs to know how to say this. Ephesians 2.10 says that you are God's 
workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which got prepared in advance. Workmanship is the Greek word poema. It's where we get the English word poem. You are God's poema, created in Christ Jesus for good works. I want you to think, everyone, I want you to think about the deliberate, intentional, thoughtful, careful, unhurried, methodical, purposeful way a poem is put together. That is how God made you. I want you to think about every syllable, every simile, every accent, every emphasis in a poem is carefully chosen and carefully placed. And this is the way Ephesians says that God has made you. So that means that God built you with this color skin and these color of eyes and this color of hair and just this height and just these gifts and just these personalities, just these abilities, just these everything. And then chosen this time and place for you to live in and then placed you in your family, either by birth or by adoption. And then he called you to his son Jesus and made your spirit alive with a spirit of power, love, and self-control. Why did he do all that? For his own purpose and grace and because he has work for you to do. Things he prepared in advance before the creation of the world, things he made you for that you should walk in them. I, we don't teach this because it's good for your self-esteem or because it's good for your mental health. This is just true. This really is how things are. And the only appropriate response for a kid is to surrender your life to him. And I encourage you to do it now. To say, God, you've made me this way for a reason. I don't understand it all, but I trust you. Let's pray before we wrap up. Our Father in heaven, we ask today that you would fill this church with the spirit of power, love, and self-control. That you would empower every adult to exemplify what it means to hope and to trust in you. Help us to lay before every kid you give us the opportunity to. Help us to lay before them the awesome calling to which you've called them. Would you give us opportunities this week as we serve in faith kids and at the refuge and at Awana and at schools and everywhere around the St. Croix Valley, would you give us opportunity to love and nurture the faith of a kid? And we ask your help to know how to talk about the cost with joy. Father, we ask together today that you would raise up out of this generation a generation of men and women with, of great courage that you would fill them with gifts of service for your kingdom. We pray this on behalf of South Sudan, Afghanistan, North Korea, India, China, all the places that you might call them. God, would you do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine here and fill them with courage. We thank you for Larry and we ask God that you would empower him for his service in Uganda today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. All right, let's stand and sing.